Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. This is a very special episode. Actually, this is a listener episode where they requested that we do the movie Nosferatu from 1922, the great silent film. I'm Jimbo, and I'm joined once again by... The Super Special Kyle. Right. So, uh, C. Kevin Donegan asked me to, hey, have you ever thought about covering this movie? And... Honestly, it's been on the list, but it wasn't something that was pushed to the forefront. On the backlog of like, we'll get this someday, then right. like, we get a fan request, and like, so, let's push it up a little bit. Um, I told him, sure, we'll, we'll do it. We'll put, if, if you guys have a listener request and you wanted to push it through the top, then we'll make it happen. So um, we went ahead and pushed this to the forefront. I'm going to throw this out as an extra bonus episode this week, since it is close to Halloween. Um, so we're going to do our best. But before we get started like we normally do, I'm not going to give Kyle a question today. Um He's got, we're going to jump into the normal episode, but I'm going to read this article I found because a lot of stuff from this movie is surrounded in controversy and plagiarism and lawsuits. So I found this article on uh, plagiarismtoday.com. It was titled Dracula versus Nosferatu, a true copyright horror story. Ooh. So I figured um, I'm going to go ahead and just read this, and then uh, we'll jump into the normal notes uh, like we do normally. So... 
Through the slip-up that caused Night of the Living Dead to lapse into public domain is most likely the best-known case of copyright affecting horror movies. It is far from the only, nor is it the first. The truth is that copyright has been creating havoc with horror movies as long as there have been horror films all the way back to at least 1922 when the estate of Bram Stoker, the author of the original Dracula novel, took an upstart video company that made an unlicensed adaptation of the book. This battle not only helped shape horror movie history, but is also something of a vampire tale unto itself. After all, it's about a movie that managed to resurrect itself, literally coming back from the dead and then casting a spell on the living. In many ways, the story of Nosferatu, the movie, mirrors closely to its protagonist, uh, though unlike Count Orlog, it hasn't turned to ash when exposed to sunlight. Mm. Driving a stake through Nosferatu, film producer Albin Grau originally got the idea to shoot a vampire movie in 1916. Serving in Serbia during World War I, Grau was inspired to make a film about vampires after speaking with local farmers about the lore. He and Enrico Dickman found the company Prana Film and set out to create the movie, even hiring screenwriter Henrik Galling and director F.W. Murnau to bring the vision to life. Grau, however, hit a major snag. He had wanted to do an exp- expressionistic retelling of the story of Dracula, but the estate of Bram Stoker, spearheaded by his widow Florence Stoker, would not sell him the rights. Through, uh, though the book was already in the public domain in the U.S. due to an error in copyright notice, which we've experienced that in uh, Night of the Living Dead 45 years later, uh, Grau's native Germany, which um, was already a signatory to the Berne Convention, the U.S. would not sign until 1988. That work would not lapse until 1962, 50 years after Bram Stoker's death. Undaunted, Grau pressed forward with the film, and it started production in 1921. However, several changes were made in the movie in a bid to duck the cop- uh, copyright its, uh, lawsuit. The name of the movie was changed to Nosferatu. The main character's name was changed to Count Orlock, and the plot itself received many tweaks and modifications. And just a sign, I'm going to inject this here. You can tell from watching this movie, it's yeah. basically pretty much the it same It's definitely movie. the goal of making it just, just legally distinct enough <laughs> right. to be its own thing. But also, I kind of agree. I think it is its own thing, personally. If I were to be the judge on that situation, I think it's its own thing. But yeah, keep going forward. Continuing, <laughs> continuing on. Unfortunately for Growl, those changes were not enough to avoid a lawsuit. Shortly after the film's debut in 1922, Bram Stoker's estate filed suit claiming the film was an infringement. Since early versions of the film still included the Dracula name, proving the derivative nature of the work was not difficult and Growl was forced to both declare bankruptcy and close Prana Film, making Nosferatu the company's only release. Worst of all for film lovers was that the judge ordered that all copies of Nosferatu be destroyed. It seemed that the movie was destined to die a very quiet death, and it almost certainly would have, if not for one piece of amazing fortune. Rising from the ashes. The court's order was followed with amazing thoroughness. All prints of the movie were destroyed, that is, save one. One print found its way to the United States. Since Dracula was already in the public domain there, there was no way to have a U.S. court order its destruction. It is from that print that every copy of the film existing today was made. The film slowly began to gather an audience in the U.S. and by the 1960s had earned a piece, or a, uh, sorry, a place as a horror classic. 
By then, Dracula was in the public domain worldwide and Nosferatu could be shown freely, though the film itself was protected by copyright in many locations. Once again, though, not in the U.S. More importantly, though, Nosferatu is the first vampire film that is known to have survived into the modern age. As such, it set many of the templates and rules for the films that would follow, including changing some of vampire lore forever. Uh, Then the next heading is The Impact of Nosferatu. Though it's clear that Nosferatu is close retelling of Dracula with different character names, the movie made many changes to the story, some for budget reasons, but most for copyright reasons. The biggest change was the ending of the movie. Nosferatu, Count Orlok, is burned up by the sunlight, which we'll talk about later. However, in Bram Stoker's version, sunlight was harmless to vampires. It only just weakened them slightly. However, this idea of vampires being killed by sunlight has been used over and over again in various movies, including many carrying the Dracula name. The theme has become so common in the more accurate 1992 movie retelling of the book, a narrator has to explain why Dracula can walk in the daylight for a crucial scene. Another difference is that a bite from Orlok does not create a new vampire. Rather, Orlok merely kills his victims. This theme, too, would be ad- adopted by later films, which forced less on the curse element of vampirism and often gave vampires a choice as to whether or not a victim would live as a vampire or perish. Example, interview with a vampire. Yeah. Other changes, however, didn't catch on. For example, Orlok is a mishappened monster with fangs in the side of his mouth, making him almost appear animal-like. This is in stark contrast to Stoker's Dracula, which is a suave, sexy, and aristocratic womanizer. This paved the way to largely abandon the Van Helsing plot of a vampire hunter and leave room for the story's women to fight back, one eventually sacrificing herself to kill Orlok. Still, many of Nosferatu's changes went on to become canon for vampire movies, even though they went against the story it was based upon. Bottom line. In the end, it's amazing how many elements of modern vampire lore came not from an attempt to write a better vampire tale, but rather were a failed attempt at avoiding a copyright infringement lawsuit. Without those changes, vampires might never have been thought to be vulnerable to sunlight or able to kill their victims. Vampire lore would have been very different without Nosferatu. However, the biggest change might be that there would have been almost no vampire movies at all. After all, without Nosferatu proving the interest and potential profit from vampire movies, it's debated whether Universal and or Hammer Films would have taken up the Dracula name. Imagine for a moment if Bela Lugosi and Christopher Reeve had not donned the cape. Nosferatu kept the interest in vampires and Dracula alive until 1931 when Lugosi first played the role and helped ensure that we would have a steady stream of vampire movies from then on. Gang, just think, Jimbo, we could have lived in a world without Twilight. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, in the end, though, it's the later Draculas that would have become better known. It's likely none of them would have ever done so if it hadn't been for this copyright-infringing film that managed to stay alive with a with a stake through its heart. Bum, bum, bum. So that is an article from uh, PlagiarismToday.com. I thought it was very well done, and I was trying to see who wrote this. It doesn't even say who the author was of this Some article. Guy but or gal. Yeah. They did a fantastic job right there. So. Yeah. Um, so, Kyle, let's go ahead and talk about this 1922 Nosferatu now. Okay. All right. Well, we kind of uh, covered a lot of the kind of the overall plot summary that Wash will get into a little bit later, too. But um, anyways, let's cover the whole film. Um, Nosferatu, originally released in 1920, 1922 in the Netherlands, um, waited until seven years later to uh, 19, um, June 1st, 1929 for the United States release. Um, it was directed by um, F.W. Murnau. Um, writers include Henrik Gleen and uh, also um, 
um, now uh, attributed as a writer for the original base novel of Bram Stoker's Dracula, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious reasons. Uh, producers, um, producer uh, Enrico Dykman and Alvin Grawl. Um, composers for the um, renewed uh, plot, uh, the restored version in 1997, includes um, names like James Bernard, um, James Duhamel, and Hans Erdmann, and Sandro Forte. Um, going on to the technical details here, we have a runtime of 94 minutes. Um, uh, and that kind of has very, very similar runtimes to different countries, including 65 minutes for Spain. Um, 88 minutes for the United Kingdom, and 84 minutes for Sedum, and 85 minutes for the good old Belgium. For the sound mix, it is a silent film. Um, so all the um, music is added later into the restored versions of like 1997 and other versions. Um, color info, this is of course a black and white film. Although um, in the restored versions that we watched, it had a um, some color tinge for certain scenes to kind of add some obvious. Well, I think there. because the, the version I watched, because I have it on Vudu, mm-hmm. um, and and the the one that we got actually had um, deleted scenes or, or found footage put in there, and I think that's where the different colorations is. Like uh, you see, like the one scene where um, Orlock is driving the carriage up to the the mountain or whatever, and you can tell it's just off, mm-hmm. like off. So a lot of the stuff they had to do by. Um, Art. Oh. They had to do art and move the camera through the art thing too. So, uh, so we probably got the uh, restored version where they added some stuff. But of course, the camera, the art, film quality is not as good. There's as only so much you can do with to like, save such, it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Moving forward, we have the aspect ratio of one point three three by one, better known as a four by three aspect ratio. Um, we have a camera. We have the Debris Le Parval Porvo. <laughs> I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly. Um, film length, we have um, 1,967 meters in film. I don't know how many reels that is. For the process spherical, printed format is 35 millimeters. Whoop. Moving on to uh, award. Or actually, not, not awards, just award. <laughs> um, then we have a... Uh, looking at the paper that I misplaced. Where I put, oh, there it is. We have the Online Film and Television Association reward for the Film Hall of Fame motion picture. So they have a Hall of Fame base for it in 2010. And moving on, we're going to the cast of the film. Um, usually for the cast, um, you know, if you listen to other episodes, I will do the name of the actor, which character they play, and then some other other films they were kind of best known for outside of this. Um, because this movie is nearly a hundred years old now, <laughs> um, and um, almost completely um, German and Netherlands, you know, uh, produced, um, these names are very difficult to pronounce, and also they didn't show up in many other films. So I'm just going to do the. I'm going to. Attempt to the best, best of my ability, the uh, <laughs> the name pronunciation and the character pronunciation. So he's going to apologize and in advance. Apologize in advance because it's just like there's just I'm going to try. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. So first up, we have Max Schreck plays Graf Orlock. We have Gustav von Wagenheim playing Hutter. We have Greta Schroeder playing Helen. We have George H. Schwell playing Harding. Then we have Ruth Lanshoff playing Ruth. We have Gustav Botts playing Professor Sivers. Then we have Alexander Grenick playing Nock. And then we have John Goldtrot playing Professor Bulwer. Then we have Max Nimitz playing Ein Capitan. Very good, Cal. I, 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 I might have a little bit on me there. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I, I really did try. I really did try. Um, oh, uh... 
one thing I wanted to actually mention, actually, because uh, I just remembered uh, we had the filming dates of the film, which went from August 1921 to ending on October 1921. So this is actually, if you're listening to the time of release of this podcast, this is the 100-year anniversary of the ending of filming um, this movie. So That's awesome. Surrounding. So cool fun fact. Nice. Um, so Kyle, give me the synopsis of this movie without plagiarizing the synopsis from Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> well, she Keanu Reeves. <laughs> well, on a rider, it's great. <laughs> different movie, different movie. Um, <laughs> without plagiarizing, I guess without plagiarizing, you just gotta admit up front, this is Bram Stoker's Dracula, but with a few details changed of a, of a man going to buy a house um, from uh, in <laughs> what would you call Orlock in this film? Uh, a landlord of the era or something like that. Ah. To some degree, yeah, <laughs> and then completing that purchase and having the same plot of French Dracula of him discovering he has a wife and <laughs> all those things. And it's just that it's it's a man <laughs> just going to fighting a vampire and then having um, you know a play go around and trying to learn about vampires and fight them. <laughs> well, and I, I think I, I think I, that's a poor synopsis. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a terrible. Cut. Let right. me see if I can help it. So right. yeah. Do a better job, me and Jimbo. You have obviously you have Orlock, who's lived in Transylvania, wherever he's at. I don't remember the city. I'll just say Transylvania because I can't remember. Uh, or the real place was Eve <laughs> Orava Castle. Yes. Yes. Um, so he has summoned somebody to come up there because he wants to buy a plot of land in the village of Oh Slovakia. Actually, so isn't slow, yeah. So um, he can he can basically feed, I guess, on his victims mm-hmm. more. Yeah, you can see the more specific detail here. And there's this 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 young married couple that's there. Oh, it is supposed to be in Transylvania. Too. I thought it, so. It is supposed to be in Transylvania, uh, but it was filmed in Slovakia. <laughs> so uh, this young married couple. Um, the beginning of this movie is so wild because he goes and he cuts down these flowers from the garden and he breaks them and she's like. Why did you have to kill why, such beautiful... Why did you do that? that? Yeah. I was like, great. It's <laughs> a terrible idea. Um, Get off to the bad start. It's great. I right. love it. Every good relationship. So, uh, then he goes like to his workplace or something and says, hey, I gotta go. I'm leaving. And he leaves her with, like, what, his uncle and, and Anne or something? And, yeah. And he goes off for a couple of... A trip to go up to Transylvania or whatever yep. to... Here's some dead flowers. Anyways, I'm going to go buy a house. I'll be back in like six months. Yeah. You know, old times were weird, folks. <laughs> and so he goes, you know, and, and, and he, he's like, hey, I got to get up here to this guy. They're like, hey, we're – they go to the village. He's like, hey, uh, I need to go on up to the, the castle here. And they're all like, whoa. whoa. The whole people just you like stop. You don't like, go to the castle no yeah. more. No. There's a weird dude up there. <laughs> they're like, we – no. And then one guy's like, hey – he tells him and gives him something. He's like – Hey, he's like, okay, but we're only taking you to a certain point, like this pass or something. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, we're not going any further. We'll only take you to a random field between here and there, okay? That's it. <laughs> now, one thing I want to point out for this movie, which I'll get to later. Um, because it's in black and white, it's hard to tell when it's nighttime out and when it's daytime out. Because this entire scene I'm describing, I thought it was like, hey, it's in the middle of the day. So I was like... Okay, so but you come to find out here in a few minutes that it's actually almost midnight. But so he, he gets off and he starts walking up this side of this hill or whatever. Here comes this carriage, the carriage flying down that hill, dude. It's oh, all yeah. Just over the place. there. Yeah. So you pull up and it's a guy dressed all in black except for like his eyes, 
and uh, you can tell it's Orlock. You know, it's not, it, it is. And I'm, it looks and I, like Mr. Burns. And so, and so here <laughs> I am thinking it's in the middle of the day, and this guy is out here in the sunlight. Period. He would be toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets up there, and then you see it like he's like sliding around the corner in that chariot, you know, and they get all the way back to the castle. Um, Orlock shows him to his room or whatever, and, and he, he says, hey, you want to come eat or whatever? So he has a little thing, and he ends up cutting his finger, like most of the time when... Exactly. As you do when you eat dinner, you cut your, you cut your thumb open and bleed out. <laughs> and and Orlock's face, man, once he it's cut like, that, oh, he's like, oh, it's dinner time for real now. Yeah. Yeah. And so he just he starts, starts sucking on his thumb or whatever, you know, and he's like, he says something really As incredible. Do. <laughs> yeah, he says something really, really incredible. He's like, oh, it's, it's, it's a tragedy of... Fresh blood to waste it. Yeah, yeah and so I was like, what is And I'm not gonna lie, Orlock is one creepy dude in this. The the makeup and everything on him is fantastic in this movie. Oh, surely, yeah. He def- so <laughs> this guy stays up there and um, he spends the night. And there, that Orlock is just creepy, dude. And he's like, hey, why don't you stay up to like four in the morning with me? <laughs> this is where yeah, I, yeah. this is where I found I out. I sleep all day. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, this is where I found out that oh, it must be because he's like, oh, it's just now midnight. I'm just getting started, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so he along the way he finds this book that says, hey, you know, the Nosferatu, the vampire. There's a lot of good. Um, what do you call those? Where they just inside of the movies where they bring up the the scene the the wording. Um, oh. Like the slide. The cue card, basically, right. or something like that. There's a lot of good um, information in those that they put up in this movie that explains, like, I guess the history of Nosferatu or the vampire, vampire mm. um, as he goes down the thing. And Yeah, because when he finds the um, book, in his first night, he finds the book next to his bed about vampires, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which was down there at the end, I think, right? Mm. If I remember right. Yeah, and so... Or near the beginning, actually, when he first finds the book, but he finds it. And then... <laughs> At some point during this night, uh, he, he ends up getting bit by Nosferatu. And I, and he pulls down his thing, and there's some two little things. I'm like, man. I was like, is he going to turn into a vampire already? I don't remember Jonathan Harker turning into a vampire. He, <laughs> yeah. He took Mina. Uh, he's, so, he's like, oh, must have been a giant mosquito. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And he's like, it's very funny. They bit me. And the, he wrote that note to his, his wife. And he's like, Helen. And he's like, they bit me right he, next to each I other. waking up with holes. <laughs> Just at that time, I woke up in Vegas with a kidney missing. It just yeah. happens. You know? I was like, man, that is really weird. So, basically, he's writing letters back home. and So, he's there, and he looks out the window, and Orlock is packing these coffins full of dirt onto this carriage. And it's really interesting that he, he put... He's carrying them one hand, you know, just oh, yeah. carry, just throwing them up on this horse and carriage. So, you can tell he's a very strong he's a, vampire. He's a man's man. Yeah. And then you see him just get on the top one, and he lays down, and the, 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 like, the stop motion is terrible. You can see the horses moving and everything. Oh, yeah, that's and great. the lid just slides up over the top, mm. and it takes off. So, basically, they now have... Um, They're taking these coffins full of dirt because he needs to have. This is something you find out in this movie that they have to sleep in their own dirt, native turtle, no, right. native soil. I believe the term goes. Yeah, right. So um, when uh, they get to the ship, <laughs> the one and this is this is really good cinematography back then. Oh yeah, the one guy's like, hey, there's somebody down there, and the, the they find the one guy down in the basement dead or whatever. You know what I mean? And he looks over there, and you see Nosferatu, and then he disappears. Yeah. Really well done, mm-hmm. especially for 1922. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, uh, and the, 
to the degree like you know like it's also funny but also like that that degree of stop motion that that jittery movement adds to like how creepy Nosferatu specifically is in all these scenes too like you definitely like how inhuman he is definitely like how jagged he kind of moves is just not right um I know there's a lot of inspirations like going to like films like the Babadook and other movies that came out recently even that are just like oh yeah they have to take from the old stuff to make it still just that creepy and really good and I also remember I think it's before they're loading up the uh the ship that they actually dump open one of the con- coffins and flip it upside down and a bunch of rats scurry off or whatever mm-hmm. um very good. You're just like, this guy's a horse, basically. So basically, the ship goes to sea, and it goes into port, wherever it's going, and everybody's dead on board, <laughs> pretty much, though. So, uh, yeah. So they, they, invest, they investigate, and they're like, oh, well, there's supposed to be, like, a, sh- a captain, a crew, a shipmate. There's, like, seven people on board or something like that. So um, as the movie goes on, Orlock has basically purchased the house right across... The, I guess a stretch of grass or whatever, and he can face the window of the couple. Um, so she's like, she tells her husband, she's like, look, she said, look what I have to stare at every night. And you just see him looking out the window like, hi, hi, I'm Bubba. <laughs> he just looks, he's just creepy looking. You're really pretty. <laughs> yeah, he's just really creepy looking. And um, it goes on, and you come to the famous scene where you see him creeping up the stairs with a shadow. And he's just growing and growing, and it's intense, man. And, and he ends up going into her yeah. room, and you see him bend down, and he's just like biting her. Mm-hmm. And he's just looking creepy, dude. That's he's just sitting there kneeling and biting. Yeah. And well, Orlock must have lost track of the time because he gets up and he backs up, and the 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 there's no curtains drawn, and he backs up, and there's sunlight that comes through, and he just goes poof, poof into a puddle of ash. And basically, that's the ending. And then there was that famous thing. What's it? What's it say? Like the. Um, the crow, not the crow, the, the the bird, the something, the beast that flew doesn't fly no more, something like that. I can't Sorry, remember the exact yeah. uh, flash card. Use, yeah. Right, but it's a, it's a great movie. So um, let's go ahead and talk about the rest of this film. Fun trivia and all that. So um, we already talked about how um, this movie survived the lawsuits, the, the copyright, how... Good old America came through. Have <laughs> the one copy. Yes. Talk about bootleg the versions. One time America came through. I mean, I mean, yeah. I yeah. wonder. You know, but I kind of wonder how it actually got over here. Somebody had to bootleg that thing, put it in like their jacket, go across Smuggle the sea, out, all right. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, goes to shit like piracy is one of the best pieces of a uh, way of um, um, securing that art, you know, and cultivating it for future generations. Really, um, then Nosferatu is uh, a perfect example of that. Right. Just, yeah. Uh, the movie was banned in Sweden due to excessive horror. Uh, the ban was finally lifted in 1972. So 1972. Uh, so he really was creepy looking. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and like I said, definitely like a, in the, if you ever watched the Babadook, there's a clear inspiration from the kind of the stop motion and jerky movements that um, they have in this film that goes into the Babadook, which I think is like really you know. And film. I love the old silent movies because the film is just so deteriorated that you know it gives it that really nostalgic feeling. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after 85 years, virtually all the exteriors are left intact in the city of Wismar and Lubick. I think that's really cool because it has some really great, like the arch, arching scenes, you know what I mean, where you see right. Orlock come through like the doors and stuff. Great. Um, Count Orlock is only seen blinking once on screen, and that's near the end of Act 1. This movie is also broken up into Acts, Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, I think, maybe 5. 
Um, Ruth Lanshoff, the actress who played the hero's sister, once described a scene in which she fled the vampire running along a beach. That scene is not in any version of the film, nor in the original script, so they don't know where she got it from. So maybe she just wanted her little had a bad dream second, one night. Ten and was seconds like, oh, yeah, of no, fame. I filmed that. It's good. No, <laughs> that was my sister. Yeah. Um, many yeah. scenes featuring Graf Orlock were filmed during the day, and when viewed in black and white, this became extremely obvious. This potential blooper is corrected when the official versions of the movie are tinted blue to represent night. So that might have been uh, something to know before I watched this film and was really confused as why Dracula, if you will, is walking around in the daylight. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the bad part that, of having a film black and white. They're all this what they're talking about. The werewolf's out there. And it's a striped hyena. <laughs> I was like, this thing looks nothing like a wolf. No, no, no. I was like, this is just a dog with a bad makeup job like, on it. I forget which actor it was, but the actor you saw in like the, the end, basically, he looked more like a werewolf than the actual hyena. Because <laughs> she's the crazy haircut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's a, here's a little bit of way of how this, uh, a little bit more on the film. Uh, the film was loosely based on the Bram Stoker's book, but the characters' names were changed in an attempt to prevent the legal action, which failed. The subtitles were translated into French, then when the film went uh, to the USA into English, but with Stoker's characters' names used. In the meantime, the original prints were destroyed because of the legal action, so the original subtitles were lost. The American version went to the UK and then was translated back into German for a re-release there. Or sorry, a release there. When restorers were about to make a definitive, definitive version, they were looking through a number of archives. Unfortunately, all of the prints they found had the changed subtitles, so they gave up hope of being able to recover the originals. They later heard of a good print in an East German archive. When they got there, they found out that the print had been loaned out. <laughs> The, restore, the restorers were then offered to have a look at another print from the archive, which wasn't considered as good as the other one. When the restorers observed that print, they discovered that it had the original subtitles. Oh, wow. It had been sitting there for half a century, and nobody had noticed. So you talk about bad luck, good luck. They lucked out yeah. big time. And, I, you know, somebody checked out that film, like, oh, here's my library card. I'm checking out. That's for up to. Yeah. Taking out a half-century-old film, now 100 years old. Yeah. Um, uh, and speaking of the subtitle stuff, there are many different first names for the main characters and for the different English versions. And a few Hutter is called Thomas, and others she's called Jonathan. And the uh, same thing, Hutter's wife is credited as Ellen, but in some versions she's called Mina. I uh, see. I knew it was Mina Harker. Yeah. Uh, Shadow of the Vampire in 2000 is a fictionalized depiction of the events surrounding the film's production based on the urban legend that Max Shrek was actually a vampire. <laughs> Shrek was played by William Defoe in that film. No, he, he was played by Mike Myers. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this is interesting. It's always interesting when you're selected by the Vatican uh, in the art category of its list of 45 great films. Vat- and yet, Catholics love vampires. I'm not sure why. <laughs> F- I don't know. I don't- Whatever, to each their own. (laughs) To me, sometimes. F.W. Murnau frequently used arches, doorways, and gates in the film to frame the characters. On at least one occasion, he also manipulated a certain portion of a shot to achieve the desired frame effect, which we've talked about. Uh, Werner uh, Herzog told Terry Gross in 1998 that he feels that this is the greatest German film ever made. Herzog directed the remake Nosferatu the Vampire in 1979. I've never seen that one. Um, there was another version of this film released in the late 90s that replaced the film score with the music of metal band Type O Negative. So if you type don't like the classical musical score, maybe you'll like the rock type band o Type O Negative. I, I gotta check that out sometime. That sounds great. Uh, this yeah. is on Roger Ebert's greatest movies list. 
Um, it's also obviously on the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list. Uh, some American publications claim that a famous German actor was under the vampire makeup and that the phony name Shrek, which means terror in German, was used to boost the promotion of the film. Hmm. Max Shrek, his real name, by the way, was an accomplished <laughs> German stage actor who had appeared in some other films. So so he's Max Terror, I guess, according to that. Max Terror. And Kyle, as you stated earlier, this is one of the uh, film uh, favorite films of director... Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro's favorite yes. films, which... Guillermo. Yeah. Which, uh, of course it is, because that's what Guillermo del Toro was all about. Uh, the con- uh, an old horror movie from, like, 40s or earlier? Oh, he's all over it. He loves it. The concept of popular culture that sunlight is lethal to vampires is based on this film, which depicts it such a death for the very first time in film history. F.W. Murnau knew that he would be sued for borrowing heavily from Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula without permission, so he changed the ending in order that he could say that this film and Dracula were not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but they are. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Uh, the character of Nosferatu is only seen on screen for a bit less than nine minutes in total throughout the whole film, and it works. Uh, it, it leaves that suspense and horror there. I, I loved it. Less is more, always. Right. Especially for horror films. And Count Orlock, who is master, does not appear until 21 minutes into the film as well. So that whole first 20 minutes is kind of building up something with the guy and the girl and the traveling and all that. So Yeah. And it's kind of amazing how many of these original elements came, like, came into future stuff. Like I know like the native soil thing, actually it was very much... Um, that was recent. That was that was um, referenced just this year in the show "What We Do in the Shadows" about having to have native soil um, carried with you when you're coughing when you go traveling. And I believe that was also in um, Guillermo del Toro's um, the show "The Strain," which is also a vampire show, even though they didn't say it at the beginning. But that same thing where like they have to have a uh, soil with them at all times, basically whenever they try and rest. So pretty cool stuff to see that this. Uh, I, I, don't believe, I, don't, I don't believe the sto- the solo thing was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think it was just this film. So it's just interesting to see like the stuff they brought forward. <laughs> yep. Um, after Hutter has seen Orlock leave the castle in a coffin on a cart, he makes a rope out of sheets and escape. Yet he was perfectly able to walk out of the castle earlier to give his letter to the postal carrier, or the postal writer. So why you have to make these sheets to climb <laughs> down when you could have just walked out the front door? Um so when Hutter is writing his letter to Ellen and Count Orlock's castle, the paper that he is meant to be writing on is clearly blank throughout the entire scene. Uh, when Orlock has loaded the crates, which we already talked about this, um, he climbs up and the lid levitates onto the magic strip by stop motion animation and the horses jerk around. Uh, when Count Orlock rises out of his coffin in the hall of the ship, there's a porthole right next to him and you can see bright daylight on the other side. Uh, when they find the dead ship captain, his eyes are half open in one shot but closed in the next. And at the end of the film, when the sun is seen rising out of the window, the light on the building opposite is seen, meaning that the sun was rising behind Hutter's house. Nosferatu would not have been burned by sunlight from the window, as the sun would not have been high enough in the sky to do so at that point in time. Uh, so, Kyle, what did you think of our listener request by C. Kevin Donegan, Nosferatu from 1922? You know, I, I love it from a historical perspective. You know, I really appreciate that. There's still a whole lot of shots in there, especially about... How grotesque monsters he looks that are like still deeply disturbing today. So I love it for that. I think it's a great film for that from a historical perspective. I think you can really appreciate a lot of the stuff it brings forward even to today, and it's worth watching for any like major horror fans, especially like to get understand your history and any film buff. It's great to see for that. Um, but on but on the very very personal note. It's not a film that I really want to rewatch for my personal enjoyment. Like I appreciate it in all these intellectual points and levels, but as my personal enjoyment goes, 
uh, I, I also kind of get important the silent film genre. So, like, I understand like it is incredibly important to so many other films. But personally, I'm not gonna I'm gonna watch it like once or twice really to try and get a feeling for what they for what they accomplish and appreciate that. But in general, I'm not gonna watch it over and over and over again out of my own enjoyment. So overall, like, it's a fantastic film and it's worth knowing about from a educational perspective. But overall, it's not like a film that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch this anytime I want to. You know, um, so that's my general feelings about that. Jimbo, how do you feel? Well, I think it is amazing to see how this survived after everything it went through. We're, we're amazed and even blessed to have this film with us today. Absolutely. I don't know how it survived uh, 100 years now, if you will, coming up here. Piracy. <laughs> well, I understand that. But I, mean, but I mean, it's just amazing that back that the uh, Florence Stroker won a lawsuit saying, hey, all these are being destroyed. They actually followed through and destroyed every copy that they knew about. Yeah. And then it's amazing that only one copy survived the entire time, made it to the United States, and became this big, iconic, co-following, legendary movie. Yeah. Um, and it's because of this movie that we are able to enjoy all the future vampire films. Well, there's a page about that, too. It's like, that is such a harsh judgment that rarely gets thrown around that I've ever seen. Like, the only case, well, funnily enough, the only case I've ever heard of, like, having to get, like, ordered to destroy all of that piece of art they've already completed, like, was, remember, like, there was a video game called X-Men Destiny released a few years, and they had the, they were ordered to destroy all those copies and never came back out, and a few other things, but, like, it's such a harsh punishment. Like, they already finished the entire product, and here they are because of copyright, you know, whatever kind of infringements, you have to destroy it all again. That's insane to me. Right, and you I know. think, and, and even, like, today, today you have more rules, and it's, and it's, and it's wider, and there's a lot more laws in effect for copyright infringement, plagiarism, and all for that. For better and worse. Right. Yeah. So... Just to have them say, this movie, you're doing this, you're doing that. To just to be able to track down everything that they had filmed. And, you know, how long did it take to copy a film from 1922 onto another reel? Yeah. I mean, how many copies existed at the time? Was it, hey, you know, we got three copies, we burn all three? Or was there like 200 copies and they had to burn? a few dozen, yeah, yeah. You yeah, don't yeah, know exactly where everything was. Mm-hmm. But to see that escape the country from where it was filmed and, and become this big, iconic movie that won awards... Um, is amazing. Some of the shots in there where he was doing the, the lighting, when he's crawling up the stairs, or uh, walking up the stairs, that is one of the creepiest shots they've ever done in cinema history. Oh, he man, just because he just, he just gets bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And then when he sits there and he bites the lady on the neck, he just sits there. Mm-hmm. And he just looks... He doesn't even look. He's just sitting there like his teeth sunk into her. It's so completely unnaturally still. And like in... Like, it's not even like a creature or a human. It's just like so unnervingly just cold. It almost and looks it, like it, a, a, a painting. He's just sitting yeah. there. Like, not moving. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the movie. Is it one I'm going to watch continually every day for the rest of my life? No. Um, will I revisit it? Probably, probably around Halloween time, you know, every year or something. Or when I get in that... It would be really nice to do a side by side comparison between this and Bram Stoker's Dracula at the same time, and see yeah. what the actual copyrights were and what they weren't. So maybe we'll do an interview with the vampire and we'll compare the two um, sometime down the future. So uh, thanks, C. Kevin Don again for this movie. It was the first time that I've watched the entire thing all the way through. I've seen the major story uh, beats, the, yeah, the, like the, the, the highlights, the most, yeah, the most influential, and then scenes. just see the restored version that I bought. You can buy this on Vudu for I think for like six ninety nine, but also $6.99. public domain, so like you can get it on Vudu or anything like uh, on YouTube and places like that too. But right, it is a public domain property, right? So it is. Free but access. I bought like the uh, the the ultra high definition movie, and and watching something from nineteen twenty two on my TV right now, and they look fantastic, like 
real, real. We have made leaps and bounds in the past decade or two of right. just like upscaling old stuff and really impressive stuff. That's like it blows my mind sometimes how well we've uh, remastered films nowadays. And speaking of that, if I can get it done, um, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out here now because I'm hoping to get it done tonight or tomorrow. Um, I will be interviewing, hopefully, um, a gentleman that I met on face one of the Facebook movie groups where. Um, I was privileged to watch the uh, movie uh, from, ni- I think it's 1938, silent movie, uh, As the Earth Turns, I believe is the name of it. And he gave me a private screening of it, and he composed the music for this silent film, and he also produced it with, along with the family of the director, who was 20 years old, who went on to work with uh, Disney later on in his life. So I'm hoping to interview that guy tonight, but that's another silent film where it's amazing to see where what they used to... Uh, special effects wise shadows uh, models all that stuff so I'm hoping to get that done sometime soon too I'm hoping it will be on the TCM channel um, Halloween so be on the lookout for that if I don't get to get to interviewing before then I am going to have him on eventually but I'm hoping to get that done tonight Uh, he lives out in Seattle so well, with that being said, I think this listener uh, request episode coming is to a close. Thanks, see Kevin Donegan once again. Great movie. Uh, Great suggestion. Really, really yeah, we really it. appreciate it. Um, if you have a, a suggestion, anybody else, just hit us up on the Facebook page at the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast Group, or you can email us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com. So, Kyle? And that's a wrap and cut.